My name is Jonathan Frakes. You may remember me as Commander William T. Riker from Star Trek The Next Generation. And you're listening to Nerd On. Nerd On. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to Nerd On, the podcast you didn't need, but you deserve, and where all levels of nerd are welcome. I'm like, what? What? <laughs> there is another voice in the room, and there's, there's another also another one. voice missing. So it's true. Lots, gone, lots no, is no happening today. Gone there's a lot of lot of Corey's been officially replaced. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> let's see how it goes. A new permanent member. <laughs> yes, um, of the crew, one Rude. might say. Um, we'll start it off. I'm Josh, Ali, Caitlin, and I'm Tom, Jonathan Frakes. Ooh, right? You heard that right? Yes, we. Mm-hmm. Yes, we did. I heard it. Yes. I definitely heard it. And a little bit of housekeeping. Um, two bits. Uh, this episode is brought to you in part by our patrons over at Patreon. You guys have allowed us to keep doing this show and to keep upgrading and to keep growing and to be in a beautiful room like this. I mean, it's it's fantastic. And if you are new to Patreon, what that is, it's essentially a membership uh, service that you can subscribe to Nerd On and you get all sorts of juicy bits like bonus episodes and early we, access. yeah early access of episodes behind the scenes Sneaky stuff peaks. discord communities there is a discord server that you can chat directly to us and other fans it's it's a it's a lot of fun over you there get extra stuff and you are a patron for our work and you keep us running mm-hmm. uh, another piece of housekeeping and this is this is kind of a surprise and kind of n- not normal but uh, Corey did have to step out of this episode due to some family stuff. And so... This episode yeah. is dedicated to him. Dedicated to Corey <laughs> He Powers. didn't die. He's he coming back. <laughs> he just had some family stuff. So, continuing. This episode is rather special. Yes. Um, Aren't they all, though? They, they are. That is true. They Thank are. you. In their own ways. Yeah. Keep me in my place. But you give, it, you, you give it a little bit more flavor. You put, so. you put <laughs> a little more shine on this nugget today. Yeah. It's it's a bearded episode. Age, certainly. <laughs> wisdom, wisdom. Wisdom. Call it wisdom. Yeah, that's bullshit, though. <laughs> you really bring a lot of experience. You're yeah. like, oh, He's a great. journeyman director. Yeah. <laughs> so All closeted words for age. Yes. <laughs> that's what young people say to... <laughs> so if everyone's uh, listening on the podcast app, we know that we have Mr. Jonathan Frakes here in the studio. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to be talking about Roma. But before we get into uh, this film that's taking Netflix by storm, mm-hmm. uh, we'll go a little bit and talk about uh, Mr. Mr. Frakes here. Because mm-hmm. he is more than as just As long as Riker. you don't call me Mr. Frakes. Okay. Yeah, as long as you don't <laughs> call me Mr. Frakes. my dad, as they say. Do you have any... I, I know one nickname is Two Takes Frakes. Do you want to know the uh, origin of that? Yes, please. Yes, Oddly, please. I had the... When I had the privilege of directing First Contact, which is my mm-hmm. first movie. Shout out. Shout out for First Contact. Yes. Maybe the best Star Trek movie, maybe the second best. I've maybe, read maybe the it's the best. best. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, I will say that. <laughs> it's certainly my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> um, I had a habit when I was shooting that if I liked to take, and it was happened to be the first take or whatever, you know, I'd print it and I'd say, let's move on and get another size and we'll move on to get some coverage. And I, I made that mistake on this feature and the producer mm-hmm. whose name was um, Marty Hornstein, who was the line producer. He said, uh, he called me aside. He said, Frakes, 
this is a big studio picture, and the rule is you have to print two takes. Mm-hmm. So two takes. Right? So the urban myth is <laughs> that because I shoot fast, I'm called two takes phrase, and I get my shit done. Nice. Yeah. So I take. I like both. So fish, yeah. I like the truth and I like the urban myth. <laughs> <laughs> I take pride in either direction. I do. <laughs> you know what the urban dictionary says? Hmm. What the um, the definition of Riker's beard is? Oh my gosh! <laughs> Please tell me. You you guys, you nerds, don't know the answer to this question. Now I'm I feeling under the sun. Come on, dude. I feel what like kind I of feel, did you do? I feel like I just, <laughs> this is a classic. No, I just did. And me, I totally forgot. And what is the right what is the definition of Riker's beard? Uh 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 the opposite of jumping the shark. Shark, yeah. Oh yeah, now you remember. <laughs> no, I just saw that. I was like, oh, okay, that's, that's hot. That's amazing. It is. That's uh, that's gotta be I comforting. Love that. Yeah. Wow. Right? Amazing. Riker's beard. So so I I'm sure a question for for uh, everyone listening is how how did we manage to get you here? Yes, Josh, Josh. and Bonnie. Yes, Josh and Bonnie. Um, my lovely wife and I were part of a theater company at one point. Oh, and <laughs> what is that? And well, we did t- the you tell them the twenty four hours of madness. Yeah, we did a twenty four so. hours of madness, which is basically for those uninitiated, is and in film sometimes it's forty eight hour film festival uh, kind of stuff okay. like that. Oh, I'm familiar. It's a brilliant idea. Yeah, and, and it, so and it's intense and it's a blast. You have twenty four hours. The actors, um, directors, writers, they all meet in a theater, and on a Friday night on a Friday night at six o'clock. Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh, and no. there's like themes, there's a line, there's like certain things and how many actors oh, and no. Jonathan. The three, they cut, they're pulled out of a hat. You give the number of actors you have, the theme. Yeah. And maybe. A line. Yes. Like a line or like a or, prop. Or a suggestion or a prop. Okay. Yeah. And that's all you've got. Oh, wow. And then the writer, I feel more bad for them because yeah. they have to go home. And this meeting is like at 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they have to go home. And write. They write something. a play that night. Wow. Oh. And it's like six to ten pages, sometimes a little bit more. And they do it. And then everybody meets the crack of your crack. What? It depends on yeah, the writer. Like back in the morning. And, <laughs> yeah. And uh, we regroup. Yeah. And then we read it. Just rehearsals. Uh, we would block it. And then by like 8 p.m. that night. We do a production. Do it. it was usually six one acts. So it would be two, three yeah. play acts. Yeah. And it was... You were restricted by the um, the light board that you had for the production mm-hmm. that was on. Yep. Whatever sound cues you could sneak in. Yep. And get Josh to help you with. <laughs> <laughs> there was a quick tech rehearsal, and I was I was in one of the plays, um, and then Bonnie was in Jonathan's, and they got connected, um, and they became friends uh, via a script that Bonnie wrote. We've been trying to sell her pilot for yeah a few years. Her award-winning pilot. Yeah, award-winning pilot. And um, we'll get it on the air. We will. It's going to happen. It will. It will happen. Um, But yeah, that's how we know each other. The power of art brings people together. It really does. That's what I did for my my theater class back in college. Really? Yeah, it was was the same thing. Pull out of a hat. You never talk about this. I just want to tell you this. As a writer, director, actor, all the above? Uh, All the, well, uh, more writing. And directing, I guess, because I was the director for this particular play that we did. He's going to tack on but, uh, acting too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, producing. Actually, we were. It was like four guys, you know, in a in a class. Yeah, you know? but they gave us like a week to write it. 
Oh, that was a different. That's a different animal. Yeah, I, I've done <laughs> yeah. a forty-eight hour film festival, and that same thing where that's, you write like immediately after six thirty. Once you get all the information you have, and you're just like, oh, by nine p.m. we have to have it done so that by midnight we go to the location. Scout yeah, and, and you have like it. a quick meeting of like, okay, what's everybody yeah. like to do exactly? What, what are, are they your strong? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a fascinating and exciting yeah process. It was. It's naturally chaotic. It's, yeah. it's I mean, crucible. Yeah, it yeah. really gets like the like. Just baptism on the fire. And it's wonderfully competitive. Oh, well, I'm yes. competitive oh, I'm sure. anyway. And the, <laughs> the level of, you know, you want to make the, it's like doing yeah. television. You want to make the best episode of this show that's ever been made. Yeah. yeah. You want to make the best 24 hour madness. Yeah. Act you want to make it mm-hmm. more mad than matter. Yeah. yeah. It's like raw talent, raw yeah. energy. Were you a director for this project then? The I was a director. About? Yeah. And, well, because you're a recovering were, actor. Yeah. Correct. I'm a recovering actor. Recovering actor. <laughs> <laughs> you have, I have heard you say that yourself. So I can say it. <laughs> Very <now>. true. <laughs> so, so you've, you've gone more away from acting, but. Not you, by choice. Not, not by choice. Recovering. Thought, recovering. <laughs> no, it is certainly. It has been a blessing to become a director and to learn another craft. And I would not want to be putting my two kids through college as an actor who happened to be the guy from Star Trek. Mm. Unless you're Patrick, Sir Patrick, or <laughs> Shatner. Or, and those guys Fair seem enough. to have found their own other franchises. But it's been a very... I never want to act as if it hasn't been a blessing to be part of this incredible franchise and world and family that I'm in, I continue to be in. But... As the great Leonard Nimoy said, it's better to be typecast than not be cast at all. Mm-hmm. But Very we certainly true. have been, because we're recognizable from the show, some shows mm-hmm. don't want to have the oh. the Star Trek guy or the girl from yeah. Star Trek on their show because that takes away from an it. audience. Oh, it's like an automatic association. Yeah. And yeah. in some places it works for you. And sometimes it's, you know, it certainly works here at Nerd On. Yeah. Of, of course. course. <laughs> we typecast you. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. <laughs> the thing he talks about, though, I mean, like, it happened to, uh, I forget the actor's name, but he plays Urkel. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, that was, like, a Jamal. very detrimental thing. Yeah. yeah. Jamal White. Yeah. Yeah, so. Now I see him at all, the, at all the conventions. He's, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's part of the world. That was part of my family, my childhood, you know, so. so Jaleel White. Yes. Ha- Jaleel. Jaleel. There you go. Um, so how did you get into Star Trek? Like, what was the, the journey <laughs> of getting to that point? I auditioned for... Six weeks. Wow. Seven auditions. Whoa. Wow. From the first meeting with the uh, with Junie Lowry, the casting director, and then the, cons- you know, what followed with the producers. And because the show was an independent network, all the higher-ups at Paramount needed to sign off on whoever was, was being cast. Right. And as it went up the ladder, I had, I had a, uh, what I call... What I found was my lucky sci-fi shirt, yeah. which I I was trying to uh, Marie Kimbo my house the other day. <laughs> Does it spark joy? Yeah, and, Marie and, Kondo. And Marie Kondo. Yeah, yeah. And the uh, that shirt is in my closet, mm. and it clearly brought me joy or yeah, it sparked spark joy. joy. It sparked spark a joy. lot of joy. Yeah. joy. So that fucker is still in the closet <laughs> <laughs> right now. Have to. So that's 30, 32 years ago. That shirt. Wow. And I worked each audition, and then clearly it. You know, as super sparked joy, like, like it sparked a lot of joy. It changed my <laughs> life. So, I went back and back and back and back and auditioned more and more. And Roddenberry took me under his significant arm. Yeah, the great space bird. And we used to go to uh, his office for the final couple of auditions for the president of Paramount TV and all the people who were about. And um, Corey Allen, who who directed the pilot, would be there, and Gene. 
Yeah. And um, Gene would would get excited about his vision of the future, in which he really did believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And my favorite quote, which I, part of the stories that I always tell at the convention is that Roddenberry said, in the 24th century, there will be no hunger mm-hmm. and there will be no greed and all of the children would know how to read. And it just... It's yeah. Heartwarming. Well, it's, it's what you, I think what it's awesome. you want. Yeah. For, and for what we now. need. Yeah. It is boy, what we need. Boy. It's, yeah. It's, More it's than future anything. goals. Yeah. Future goals, man. Hashtag would you say, future goals. well, I mean, would you say the current, um, you know, incarnations of Star Trek are embracing that a little that? more? I think I'm involved with Discovery. Yeah. And I hope to be involved right. with the uh, new Picard show. I, I think that they, we are very, very much intend to follow the canon of, of the show. Mm hmm. The first season of Discovery, I don't know if you've seen many of them, has a, have a sort of dark mm-hmm. edge. Darker vibe. Yeah. But at the core of the show and the lead of the show, Sonequa, has an incredible uh, sort of spiritual uh, leadership heart. Mm-hmm. and heart. And um, the writing and the writers on the show are are very well-versed in all things Star Trek. And I think it, it's cinematically, it's like J.J.'s universe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... I think tonally it aspires to be like uh, TOS and and next gen. Not like uh, yeah. what maybe Tarantino has in mind, right? <laughs> well, I gotta say, I'm a huge Tarantino fan. Oh, yeah. I'm fascinated by what that could. Yeah. Do you think that'll happen? Does that have any chance of in a world seeing the light of day? I mean, yeah, I think it's definitely <laughs> possible. Well, the, the Star Trek Four has been shelved, mm-hmm. which means there's Something's opportunity going on. for JJ and yeah. and uh, Q. <laughs> to, that's what we call him <laughs> to um collaborate no i mean yeah i, I think yeah i mean it leaves a rumor that we loved was that it was a next gen movie oh so everybody i mean i know that jj's all probably tied up with star wars as well so it's like he's, a, he's, he's a busy he's, man he's, he's a juggling busy two man. franchises yeah he's, he's got, got a little yeah. bit going on yeah he's he's slightly busy stitch. guy maybe he'll just cross them over so he can end the feud between the two <laughs> <laughs> oh jeez do you um there's room for both isn't there? there's 100 percent. there's room for both there's yeah. always so, room the galaxy both. is kind of big <laughs> let's just also let's one's just in say. the future one's long time ago yeah so um do you remember the moment that you got the call i do i was in uh i was living on 811 11th Street with um, Doc Carmen, who's a cameraman, who's still a dear friend, uh, Stephen Altman, Bob Altman's son, who's a production designer. And we shared, this was like a bad bachelor pad. <laughs> oh, no. Pizza boxes. Yeah, exactly. Socks. Imagine the, the worst you can in 1986, I guess. Yeah. Visualize, if you will. It was bad. <laughs> Imagine, if you will. Roddenberry calls me and says, Congratulations. And then hangs up. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. And I'm so excited. I was I was dating Jeannie. I'm married to the wonderful and talented Jeannie Francis. So I was going to go out and get in my car and go see Jeannie. Yeah. Nice. And where my car had been parked in front of 811 oh, no. Street, there was a little pile of glass. <gasps> oh, no. So my car had been stolen Ooh. the night before. Oh, God. <laughs> wow. I haven't told that story in a long time. <laughs> the best, yeah, and wow. the worst. It was the best of times and the worst of times. That's, that was the cost. You know, wow, was like, All right. yeah. that was the cost to be. And I'll tell you why it was stolen because it was a Cadillac, and she refused mm-hmm. to get in it with me. Okay, mm-hmm. and she was like, she it was stolen. a Coupe de Ville. It was a shoot or a Coupe de Ville. <laughs> Maybe she did steal it. She hired somebody. Maybe Jean called her first and said, "I've got good news." 
She said, good, now I can get rid of that Cadillac. Maybe that was it. <laughs> That's going to be a question for tonight when you get home. Mm. Mm. He's really mm. thinking about so, it. He's really it's, all about coming, it. <laughs> it's all coming back to him. Um, I have a question. Shoot. If I can ask. Uh, so, I mean, you've been part of the franchise, you know, both as an acting role and now in, in directing role. And so you've been able to see like where it's come from to the point where you jumped into the franchise and to where it's gone now. And then I know that you're also a really big fan of the Orville. Yeah. Seth MacFarlane show. <laughs> so knowing that, what do you what do you think about all these different takes or, you know, the kind of the void that this space uh, genre is taking into like the world of like, you know, now you have Orville that's like more comedy and you have like the darker stuff and now things are starting to come up. So it's it's cool because, you know, when Star Trek first came out, it was like, you know, cutting edge new. No one's ever seen it. Now we have he- years and years and still people are still making new things in that way. Orville is its own separate entity. thing. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But it, but uh, because Seth was such a huge fan of, uh, of Next Gen primarily, mm-hmm. and because he had wanted to be a starship captain ever since he was nine years old, and because of the considerable success that he's had in all of his other adventures yeah. at Fox, they gave him this opportunity. Wow. And he, thankfully, he hired Brandon Braga, who the guy who wrote First Contact and a bunch of the other, yeah. and yeah. Bruce Voyager. And he hired um, Robbie Duncan McNeil to direct. Then he hired James Conway, one of our big directors. And he hired all the staples, He hired yeah. me. Then he hired um, Marvin Rush, who was our DP oh. for years, and went on to do Deep Space Nine. Oh yeah. So he surrounded himself with uh, next gen people. Mm-hmm. Love letter, almost yeah. And it was, and continues to be, for some people. At the convention, I, I I I take sort of a litmus test at these conventions because I do quite a few of them, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and fortunately, I'm involved in all these Star Treks in a way that I, everybody's they all want to know what's going on. Yeah, or what mm-hmm. what, what, what do the course. fans think? For the fans, a lot of the fans feel that Orville is their new Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's awesome. And um, some of the fans feel that Orville is trying to do something that. That they uh, they don't either don't get or don't approve of, and yet, if you watch Orville this season, and it was true even last season, it's not a comedy really. It's a that's what it's I'm a very with. straight ahead, episodic, mm-hmm. with some wonderfully absurd. But if you're if you Humor. blink and miss him, yeah, he's not running back in. Uh, yeah, in case he missed it. Yeah, there's <laughs> no that. exploding shoes. In a hurry. Yeah, but it is. Um, that's one it's thing a, that I was. It's such very a fine line with. that he's walking, and yeah. I, I'm I admire him for mm-hmm. it. He's he's committed to it. He understands what it, what it is. Yeah, and because he thinks like an animator, he he sees in his head the framing of each shot. He hears the rhythm of the of the way the lines. I mean, he really understands what he wants, and he gets what he wants. And the show is uh, well, is he, an expression of that, and I think a wonderful expression. Mm-hmm. Well, Family Guy's hitting twenty years yeah. in the next like couple of weeks. Like this year, twenty nineteen is I believe twenty years. Yeah. I mean, 20 years. <laughs> That's a fair few. Man knows what he's doing, I think. Well, yeah, and he's got Cosmos up and running, and he's got other projects, and he's a wonderful singer. He goes out and sings with symphony orchestras. Yeah. He's a very, he's a fascinating cat. Yeah. He's a very talented human being. Yeah. I have a long time ago, uh, theater, uh, I was in uh, Beauty and the Beast, the musical, and down in San Diego, and I was the stunt double for the Beast, and the Beast um, was this guy named Luke, and he was best friends with Seth MacFarlane. Mm. And he'd be like, oh, I'm 
just a second, I'm talking to Seth, and he's been on the show Seth. a few times as like a because they sing together, mm. and um, he just says he's such a nice guy, like oh. he's super nice and whatnot, and it's it's good to hear. You know, you're like, man, that's good to hear. <laughs> that's always good to hear that. Yeah, the people you, yeah. Um, so with the directing thing, because you kind of led the way for cast members to become directors in a sense. Trailblaze. My, uh, my thought about it is, okay, so you were hired as an actor and you're William Riker and you're on the set. Do you remember a moment that you saw what was happening in front of you and was like, or did you go into it going, I want to be a director? Or did, was it like a light bulb moment where you're like, this is it. This is, I really want to do that. It was more of a fade in, more of a reostat. Mm, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I remember it was, first of all, it was so exciting to be on the show and we were doing 26 episodes a year and it was, everything was it was fabulous. Yeah. But because there were, I guess, seven or eight of us, there were a lot of regulars in the show. Yeah. So there was a lot of sitting around. Okay. And it was fine for a while. You can sneak a nap in, which is great. And but Those are healthy. I like the... Uh, I you like want to be working. I want to be working. Yeah. And so you look around, it's pretty clear who's involved in every shot. The director, the operator. It was too late for me to learn to be a camera operator. <laughs> Script supervisor, which mm. is too much busy work That's for me crazy. more than I could understand. Insane work. And I knew something about a little bit about directing and I so I asked Berman who was the keeper of all things Star Trek Rick Berman at that time. And he said, "Well, you got a shadow and you got this." <laughs> and he he was really hoping I'd go away. I'm sure he was. <laughs> it happens on all shows. And now you evil laugh Actors like then how? But he um so I did. I I I shadowed all the directors that were working on the show and then I he very generously offered up the uh, editors, who also naturally wanted to direct, so I spent you know three hundred hours in the editing room with these guys, which was the 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 part of the craft that I knew least about. Yeah, and probably where I learned the most about making television was in the editing room, where those guys said, "Here's what we have to have to make yeah. the scene work." Mm. You, you know? get to see the background exactly. work, and it's if like you have okay. if you have more time, go ahead and get more, but you need. Yeah. Exactly, especially enough to tell days. the story. Enough to tell the story, and because you probably remember, our show was very old-fashioned. Our show was a lot of, yeah, very little movement and a lot of medium wide shots. medium shots yeah. and coverage and rakers and yeah breakers and it was. It was <laughs> a, did we get a fraker? A lot of we did. a lot of Roman coins, but it was a um, it was a show that has a look as all shows do. Yeah, mm-hmm. so. Then he let me into some of the pre-production stuff and some of the casting and the concept meetings and go to production meetings. And it was, and then I'd go to spotting sessions, which was really exciting. And they always recorded with a live orchestra. Yeah. Dennis McCarthy and, and, and that full orchestra at Paramount. So that was thrilling. And really went on for at least a couple of years. And there were days when I'd be, we lived in Tarzana. And uh, if I was not shooting, I'd say to Jeannie, I don't know if I should gotta go in today she said the day that you don't go in will give him an excuse to say you're uh, right so i have genie to thank for that as well (laughs) (laughs) and your stolen cadillac i mean yeah (laughs) maybe maybe we'll find out tonight do you still get to do like the scoring sessions i mean i know that even the music i love it yeah this guy russo who does the music on discovery has a big affection for uh um god his name just went out of my head jerry goldsmith oh okay was our composer you know he and williams were sort of the cream of the crop i'll tell you a quick jerry goldsmith story do it please he was 
very, 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 very old. This is about, I don't know how many years ago, four or five years ago. A dear friend of mine named Norman Steinberg, for whom I work, who wrote my favorite year and used to write uh, with Mel Brooks. Oh, wow. Um, was a friend. And and his fa Jerry's father was dying. Okay. And he was like 103. Oh, wow. His name was Isaac. So Jerry Goldsmith, who was also very sick, says to Norman Steinberg, would you speak at my father's funeral? He, wow. he dies. So Norman wow. says, of course I will, but you know, I'm going to have to, you know my style. And, and I guess Jerry gave him his blessing. So allegedly at the funeral, and obviously they're Jewish, so it had to happen 24 hours as soon as it, yeah. they're dead. Uh, Norman says, Isaac Steinberg died just today. He was 103 years old. He was asking for it. Hey! <laughs> Savage. Oh my God. That's a good line, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Wow. He was asking for it. Yeah. yeah. Cold. Cold hard facts. While yeah. we're on the subject of the music, though, that is the part of filmmaking that I find I don't understand, but love the most is, is how do we how do you think about first of all what melody to use what instruments to score with to enhance it's going to establish scenes. the feel yes and, and how you can enhance it. and we all see it mm -hmm. yeah a dry scene is great sometimes but boy when you add the right elements you can cry or you can laugh or you can understand it more completely it gives you hints like we've talked about oh. it in lord of the rings there's a couple of themes in there that when you hear it you're like like yeah. you get goosebumps and you're like, something's about something's to happen. Something's coming. Something yeah. bad or good. We don't know. I mean, even <laughs> for better or for worse, if you take like the music out and you put the like a completely opposite score, it just changes the mood completely. Yeah. 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 And it's like this horror is now a comedy. Well, they say <laughs> that if if well, I mean, how important sound and music is, like a horror movie, they say if you just mute it, it's not, not very as scary. scary anymore. Yeah. It's, well, and so the music is really like it's just like, oh, there's a lot of blood. I'm like a nervous puppy. Everything scares me. So if you could meet a horror movie and it'd still be scary. Yeah. Okay. You're afraid of like Doritos or something. I yeah. am, yeah. They're scary. It's definitely a part of that fascinates cheese. me for sure. Because you always think about, you know, does the filmmakers, I'm sure they do to a certain extent, have to have the consideration for, okay, there's going to be probably music at this part. Yeah. You know, et cetera, well, et sometimes it's quite obvious. Here's, here's the, here's, first of all, here's the end point. You can see in a scene where, the eye contact suggests, oh, you could just hear the music cue. Uh, uh, Here's yeah. where the music cue's got to start. Yeah. And that's kind of delicious to know that. Yeah. And it, but the the idea, the the melodies and the rhythms that they create, especially masters like that. A week after it week. Just, it's, it's sorcery. It's, it's, it really is. Yeah. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah. So I have, in again, the privilege I had to direct those big movies with those big uh, movie makers. And Goldsmith was at the top of the list of people who i yeah. was fanboyed on and he's <laughs> he walking into work going <laughs> well he was a, and he was so generous yeah yeah he was anyway very talented and wonderful guy meeting well, your heroes and you yeah. have a like a, a musical background right like you play trom trombone well le, yeah i play trombone i play loud loud but i don't play that well <laughs> okay <laughs> i played on the show Riker played trombone on the show and when the trombone playing on the show was okay and sounded like regular trombone playing, it was me. But when the trombone playing was beautiful, it was a player named Bill Watrous, who's a jazz trombone player who's fabulous, who was part of the orchestra that used to score the show. Oh, that's awesome. awesome. And uh, so he made Riker sound better. 
But when did you start playing trombone? Like you're, you're I started playing for, in fourth grade. In fourth grade. Jefferson Elementary School, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And why did I start playing trombone? Girls? No. That's another. <laughs> that's what they that's say. why I started acting. <laughs> <laughs> or dancing, I mean. Um, because they had, you know, they had two trumpets, two saxes, two, and, the, and one trombone. So the guy with the longest arms got the trombone. <gasps> wow. And you had long arms? And that was me. <laughs> Well, you're six I'm revealing four, right? a lot of shit to you guys. Like, like, There's a arms. lot of good stuff in here. A lot, of good, a lot of juicy bits. Yes. Yeah. Juicy bits. As someone said earlier. Ad marketing Shall we call that the episode? Juicy bits? <laughs> juicy bits. Um, I Long have, arms and juicy bits. I have a juicy bit to ask. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're in an age now where we're seeing a lot of uh, animated shows becoming revived. So we're seeing like Thundercats and Young Justice and things like that. What about Gargoyles? What about Gargoyles? Oh, man. <laughs> I, I wish that show was still on. I bought you, Do you remember too. Gargoyles? I bought the VHS with the board game mm -hmm. in it. Yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, like, that. Was, I, I played the board game as the movie was playing while I was watching There's a TV show. There's a very strong group of people about your age who remember Gargoyles <sighs> really well. Oh, it's only on for two years. I'm seeing, a, like, just... From my lurking all over the internet, there's actually a huge push for a reboot of Gargoyles. Yeah, a uh, reboot yeah. or a, or a feature, yeah. or, or a feature, or a live Ooh. action version, Ooh. which yeah. would be great. Like, so dope. Imagine the attractions they can have at Disneyland with having Gargoyles there. Like, yeah, it, it would it would sell like hotcakes because it has. And I mean, you get like the aesthetics if you do live action for like with Guillermo del Toro. You know, like good prosthetics. And you oh, get, you imagine some of the same voice talents to just do the actors, and they have performance capture. You know, art performers. Uh, it'd be cool. Like it, like You've got a cunning plan. <laughs> I, I mean, it's uh, a very cunning plan. Uh, but so if anybody's listening, <laughs> so the, show, the show was on in the afternoon, and the show I've always felt was too smart for oh, the yeah. for, for its time. Everything for for children was too smart for that time. Yeah, and because there were wonderful Shakespearean references, and there were underlying, you know, good versus evil and philosophy, and there was a lot going on in it. How they spoke, so yeah, especially, and it was. Uh, one of those gigs, I had I hadn't done a lot of cartoons before that, mm -hmm. and I try to do as many as I can because it's the best, you know. Voiceover yeah? is great. It's, it's the world. It's a great world. The artists are great. The uh, the work is wonderful. You sit like this. You work and play yep. like this, and it's twenty minutes, thirty minutes, maybe. kind of a dreamy job. So I mean, with that, uh, if there was going to be like a revival series, would you want? Would you want? Oh, in a heartbeat. And, I'd and, still be on Next Gen. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Marina Sertis, <laughs> Counselor Troy, and I've always like said, we'd, st we'd be still doing the show. If, yeah. You know, and then, you wouldn't yeah, have to ask us twice. In your journey, since, you know, you've, you know, went, gone from acting and now doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes, not just purely performance. I mean, would you want to, you know, helm some of those different episodes or arcs? Of course. It's, it's a, uh, there are three things that usually come up at these Star Trek conventions. First, obviously, is Next Gen. And, Gargoyles and Beyond Belief, Factor Fiction, seem to be the next two yes. in that mm. sort of the genre yes. fans realm. <laughs> I just did a um, an episode of a German Netflix show called Don't Try This at Home. Okay. And that the German safe. producer came to the recording, which we did in front of a green screen out in the, out in the valley. And uh, he said, well, as they were making the deal, I said, we really like in Germany, Beyond Belief is called X Factor, mm. and it's huge. Okay. Not David Hasselhoff huge, but yeah. huge. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's bigger than David. Right. So he said, do you remember what you did when you were hosting uh, Beyond Belief? I said, yeah, sure I do. So I did a little bit of that sort of, and he said, um, 
could you do more like that? And I said, I, that was my fact. That was my German accent since it was Beautiful. German. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Language. More like that, Freks. <laughs> so I said, sure. And I said, do you want it, do you want it to be self-parody? And the American producer explained what I meant. And he said, yes, yes. <laughs> and I said, would you like more gravitas? Yes, 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 yes. So I did <laughs> with, with more of that sort of, you know, pompous asshole gravitas. Oh boy. Give me more. Give me more. So each take and each uh, little version of this act that I was in, the German guy said, could you do one more? Even more gravitas. Oh my God. Even <laughs> more. He loved the word by the time he knew more. it. So that was my uh, beyond belief moment, which happened last month. Um, if you could give, like, let's say we have a director in the room. We mm -hmm. have Tom. Tom. If you could give a young director Hi. one piece of advice. One piece of advice. Maybe two if you're feeling spicy. Always have a shot list. 100%. Preparation is 90% of the job. When in doubt, shoot low and wide. Oh, when in doubt, right? I know, I know why. I know why, but I never thought about low. That's interesting. Why, why low and wide? Yes, it gives you a cool look. Yeah, it does. It does. Because you think about it, you just get, you just get, you just get, you just get your, you just get your wide, dumb master shot, and it's like, all right, you got that. But you'll use it. But you, you will, all, yeah. You will to save your butt. Always save your time. Exactly. Save enough time, and the producers and line producers and first ads will always try to talk you out of it. No, don't ever. Well, sometimes but, you don't have a choice. Yeah. And get an eight millimeter lens if you can. Eight millimeter lens. Okay. Interesting. So good tips. Uh, I have one more question. Since you do have the honor, privilege, and experience of being an actor and director, um, you know, you mentioned a while ago of your portrayal of Don Quixote, and you mentioned I of, did you a while ago. A while ago, you mentioned uh, your performance, and not I today. Think, I think the critics uh, said uh, you gave the best performance you can possibly give as Don Quixote. No, Jonathan Frakes did as well as could be expected. There exactly. it is. <laughs> it's like burned uh, in my mind. I do, I, do, I do some research, you know. Um, we try. You didn't know about Riker's beard. I did. I did. There's a lot of other things I had to memorize, but also. It's like that moment when somebody says, oh, sing me that song. I was like, oh, which one? <laughs> you know, that song, your hit. <laughs> um, what is your perspective on, you know, reviews, critics? Because I think we're oh. in that you know, era where a lot of people decide whether to go to something or Because Rotten Tomatoes says. But or also, Metacritic or IMDb or, you know, wherever that's they That's a really good question. It's a, it's a complicated, yeah. well, let me go back. I'm not sure that it matters what people say about things, especially big event movies that are going to happen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when I read what critics say about television now, the good TV critics say, I don't have time to watch all the good, all the stuff that I know I should watch. Mm -hmm. They literally don't have enough time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they give you a list of their 10 best list is 15 best or 20 best. And here's what I think we should all. Yeah. Um, in the theater, I think certainly in New York, the critics still matter in a way that they, uh, people are, they're, they're going to go spend a couple hundred bucks on a seat to go to the theater and go out for the night. And they want to make sure they're going to see yeah. something that they, it's a big decision. And, and also theater goers, theater goers have critics that they trust or they feel that, Oh yes, they think like I do. 
And I think that may be true with, with movies, but I'm not sure that reviews matter. I, I, I know that, um, I went to movie jail when I did Thunderbirds and the mm -hmm. reviews for Thunderbirds were, were horrible. Mm -hmm. So I, I, you know, that sort of flies in the face of what I'm saying, but that also was released opposite Spider-Man and Shrek, which yeah. had, yeah. <laughs> had a leg up oh, on us. Well, um, I think people go to see stars mm -hmm. or they go to see a franchise that they know and love. I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of uh, Ozark, for instance. Yeah. Oh. And when the second, I couldn't wait for the second season to start. It's so mm -hmm. good. It's so good. And it's so good on so many levels. And yeah. he's never been better. And the girl who runs the uh, strip joint for oh, him, whose yeah. name I can't remember. It, it, there's so many wonderful things about it. And I used to feel that way about House of Cards. Oh. And then I sort of lost my yeah. my mojo for House of Cards, even though I'm watching this last season with Robin Wright. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to see the show making abilities of people who have to, you know, take on the show after the like a lead character has to yeah. know, exit their roles. But yeah. But man, there's a real loyalty to things that you've had uh, good memories with. That you're invested in. Yeah. And mm -hmm. um, that's certainly been the success of Star Trek. People, people will come to see all the Star Treks. The hardcore fans will come to see all the Star Treks and then decide whether they like it or not. Or yeah. When we first started, the audience was so skeptical and so not ready for anybody to mess with their... Yeah with their Kirk and Spock and Bones, especially an English, bald English actor <laughs> from France. True. <laughs> it was a very skeptical audience. And then by the third season or so, we were allowed in. Yeah. And, and the same thing has happened now with Discovery. It didn't even take them that long. The people are more pissed off about having to pay in the United States to watch Discovery Mm. on CBS All Access yeah, because mm. I've been watching Star Trek for free for 50 years. Mm -hmm. And I got to say, I get it. What, yeah. Why are they paying? Yeah. yeah. When it's on Netflix everywhere else in the world and it's free in Canada. Oh, wow. There you go. So anyway, that's so, another. So it's more that the, the audience is more important than the critic, would you say? I think that's a very good way to put it, yeah. At least that's been my experience. What What is your take on? I mean, I think that's what the filmmakers and storytellers try to do. They try to make a story for the audiences. But I think what happens, it's crippling that the critics sometimes have such a, a, a pull that audiences look at that as an answer and not a point of discussion. Well, are the critics the same as the Rotten Tomatoes? Because the Rotten Tomatoes is a number. That's yeah. a, it's yeah. an aggregate, but it's yeah, an it's, aggregate. It, is it an aggregate of critics? It's aggregate of critics, and they say yes or no. Yeah, and so, that it, number does, I think, have a significant effect on people going to the movies when they're spending their money. That and probably involves dinner and driving and all the yeah. other shit that goes with it. It becomes a, it's like the theater. Well, because when you go out for the night, well, now, it's, nowadays it's, it's just there. It's, it's integrated there. into Fandango. Yeah, it's yeah. integrated. It's also to, part of people's marketing. Yeah, it's like it's a yeah, certified it's, it's, fresh, and it's on their ads. Yeah. you know, they, when it's when it does well, you see the stamp. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And some people just say like, "Oh, if it's fresh, I'm going to watch it. If it's not, I'm not going to yeah. watch it." They don't yeah. try to give it. Even but they haven't heard like, anything about it. They've seen mm -hmm. a number. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Which is sort of the and it's rough. And there, it even goes as far as like they rate actors. And it's like, wow, how do you? I did not know how that. Do, you do that. They rate actors and they rate filmmakers. It's like, I don't, I don't want to be part of that. I don't want to like throw a number onto somebody. I did not know that. Their bodies of work. Wow. So yeah, it's, well, it's tough enough, buddy. I mean, it's, it's tough because like it's how it's like, kind of like you say. It's like how you how you go about it. It's the balance with it. Oy. 
Yeah. I have one more question before we get into our the topic. What I do love you, that you guys do the topic too. The, the topic. topic. Um, it like password. Password. <laughs> what do you find most rewarding about your place in nerd culture? The generosity and kindness of the fans that I experience and have for the last 31 years never ceases to amaze me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I um as I said, I do a lot of the conventions and I'm and I still do them because in each no matter what city I'm in, no matter what country I'm in, someone will come up or five people or 12 people or 15 people and say, I'm an astronaut because, or I'm a doctor because, or I'm a physicist because. Wow. And even more potently, they'll say, the only time my father was ever nice to me was when we sat down to watch Next Gen. Or occasionally. Oh, my heart. (laughs) Well, ready for this one. They'll, they'll, an amputee will come up and say, you guys helped me get through Kuwait, Afghanistan. Wow. And, and, and they're dead serious. And they say, you know, somebody sent me the, the uh, DVDs. We used to watch your show every night and you got us through. That's and, awesome. And their seriousness and their candor and their... their um, Raw emotions. Co- yeah, and the ability to trust us with that kind of... Especially the family stuff and the yeah. Yeah. and the and the uh, war, the PTSD part of their lives. Yeah, and and when they see us, some of these people see us, and they we remind them of of a very significant part of their lives, and and we're just the actors, you know. And I, you try to explain to them that you know, but it's you're really more the, to that. The writer, it was really yeah. the writing, so much and they more. said, yeah, but that they don't want to. They want. They but want, you're the face of that. You're the like face it, of that. Yeah, yeah, and that is a, and it's. You know, it's tangible. It's tangible. And also because it was Star Trek. Yeah. I mean, I was, you know, I could have been on, I've been on some really shitty television shows. <laughs> <laughs> and and um, the blessing, again, is to have been part of this and then to see how, and it's been on for 50 years or 51 years since the original series. Yeah. Wow. People, and Shatner has the same thing. They, they come to him and they say that, you help me do this, or and now there's you know two or three generations of, of people yeah. with the same, yeah. So that's that's been the greatest part of this. Nice. I mean, it's been wonderful. The work's been great. The f- lifelong friendships, obviously, the fact that it, you know you can buy get rid of the Cadillac and get, <laughs> yeah. get a real car. <laughs> yeah, on a podcast. Yeah, get yeah. On a podcast <laughs> with Josh's well, buddies in the garage. <laughs> what's, yeah. what's funny is actually really strange. Six degrees of Kevin Bacon. We had uh, Jeff Nimoy on our show, who is second cousin, who, once uh, removed. I think is yeah, the joke Leonard. to Leonard Nimoy, and he said almost exactly the same thing that you said: the graciousness of fans, because he's sounds- voiceover, and he's like, when people recognize me. And they tell me like, because he was showrunner, director, writer, voice and voice and a couple of like Digimon and some other things that are very well known. And he's like, when people recognize me, I'm voice. I'm just totally like. I like I have a toy of him. You know, it's like. Yeah. (laughs) That's a cool thing. That's like that empathy, that part in people's hearts that that's something that money can never buy. Oh, and also the fact that they feel that they could they can trust that intimate story with you, or they've waited in line literally to tell you. I've seen people collapse at the table. I've seen really big, teary, emotional moments that you're, and you're sharing that with them. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a strange responsibility. It's a privilege, obviously. People want to get but, engaged in front of people. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I've seen that happen yeah. more than once. Oh, Ooh, that's dangerous. Engaged. <laughs> that oh, is dangerous. Oh, no. <laughs> Make yeah. it so. I'm sure you've heard that. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. <laughs> oh, I've seen, though, yeah. I've seen one, I, I don't think so. Or, and it was the most painful, brutal, and it happened right in front of my table. Oh, oh no. Oof. Shout out to them. The hearts. Oh, the hearts. Speaking oh, the feels. of moments. So. Um, since we are talking about Roma today, mm. which is all about uh, life's moments, whether oh, they boy. be positive or negative, um, uh, this is a question. Nice transition. That. Um, <laughs> right? I can feel it coming. It's coming. Very Do nice you have any moments in your life, not, not necessarily Star Trek or any directing acting, do you have any moments in your life uh, in Roma style that you really remember? That's a, like a crack Which in the wall. I know I'm putting a giant spotlight over top of your head. Uh, but if the first thing that comes to mind that you're like, that is a moment a that Roma defines moment. part of my life. Besides the Cadillac. Besides yeah. the Cadillac. <laughs> well, the woman who we think may have stolen a Cadillac. <laughs> oh, there you go. Certainly saved Warm. my life. Literally. Gina. Yeah. yeah. So I, that moment <laughs> in time is. Uh, Where she stole the Cadillac? No, oh, I, don't, okay. I don't think it was her. No, what we would do is we would zoom in on the glass. Yeah. <laughs> and stay there for just a little bit. And let water wash over it. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, do you do you have a moment like that? Yeah, I do. Do you want to share it with the class? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so good. this is what I like to call and then and and now for something completely different. Because we have we have talked to Jonathan. Isn't that about Monty Python? Jonathan. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. And now for something completely different and then an explosion. Um, so we're the thing that we love about our show is that we don't want to just talk to you about you because anybody can look on the internet, go to YouTube. We want to find out something that you're passionate about. And our emails you had mentioned. Let's I must talk- have just seen Roma. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I hate this now. <laughs> no, but I, 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 I don't know how you felt about it. First of all, it's visually. Do you want to introduce the movie and talk about Quran and all that? He write... I can. Well, we DP can do and a brief synopsis. And, yeah. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, this text. is for everyone that's listened to the show before. This is pretty familiar. Uh, we're talking about uh, Alfonso Cuaron's uh, Roma. He wrote mm-hmm. and directed it. Uh, came out exclusively on Netflix two weeks before it had selected theater release. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, uh, as a brief synopsis about the film. Uh, it takes place in 1970s uh, Mexico. 1970, 1971. Mexico yeah. City. Mexico City. And uh, it follows the story of Cleo, who is a nanny for a family where, uh, you know, in a long story short, she finds out she becomes pregnant and she takes care of three other children while um, the parents that are, the parents, uh, are their relationship is falling apart. Mm-hmm. Um, so you see her through her day-to-day cleaning uh getting things prepared for their family life. Uh, Figure going, out what to do with this pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Like It's very brand new. And through... Um, taking care of the other mother. Yes. Yeah, she becomes mother. a mother. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, through different points that you're traveling through the city, we find out that she's never been with anyone else and mm-hmm. she's never had any type of sexual relationship before. This is the first time she's ever had it. And in a way, she's kind of shell-shocked throughout the entire thing. Um, her responses aren't dramatic or uh, frenetic as one might think of when we think of uh, American modern television of like pregnancies. Uh, and the the father to be doesn't take any responsibility, completely just disappears. Just the opposite. Yeah. yeah. Just he dis- threatens her. Yeah. Uh, and 
so there's there's this bond that starts ha- building between Cleo, uh, the nanny, Cleo, and the mother as the mother's the husband is left, and, and she's establishing her own power mm-hmm. as a woman. Yeah, and we're starting to see the development uh, of these children where they're going on through the world, or the city. What's happening? We seeing we're seeing strikes. We're seeing um, students uh, rioting, rioting, uh, a lot of crazy stuff that's going on through the time. To uh, spoiler. A very dramatic moment uh, where there's a fire in the forest to having a child uh, be stillborn. Yeah. And uh, at the end, coming to terms with her never being really ready to have this child. Cleo never really having this, being ready to have this child. And uh, I found it most beautiful that, you know, the fact that, you know, she had a miscarriage and this family is pretty much falling apart, but still trying to hold itself together. Yeah to this climactic moment at the end where all the truth and every, all the bad is kind of getting washed away to pretty much an empty home when they come back to it. Yeah. And life kind of has to continue, but I was going to say life goes on. Life like, goes on, but we're changed. See, I thought the significant it. scene in the movie was the scene in which she saves the children in the sea. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. That's what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. In the water. Um, and they go back home and they're back to a house where the father has vacated, taking all the bookshelves, leaving an empty house, to where she continues her life, living, you know, living mm-hmm. for this family, being their nanny. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it was written and directed by, by Alfonso, Alfonso Caron. And uh, uh, just <clears throat> some of the notes. Um, he, you may know his, some of his works from Gravity, Sandra Bullock, and George Clooney. Uh, Children of Men, Clive Owen. Uh, I love that movie. And Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. And also... Is that the best Harry Potter? I think it's the I best it. film made. Yeah. Like filmically, it's the best one. Filmically. 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 Wow. That's Usually he uses word. film language, but uh-huh. that's, you know. <laughs> um, and who's, been, who is the DP on Roma? Uh, on Roma. Oh, himself. He was. Himself. Yeah, he was. That's what himself. He was. It was the first time I think he ever did his own cinematography. Tom's panicking. Every time you <laughs> ask him a question, he's like, <laughs> uh, I'm, not, I'm not that tough a guest. <laughs> his big one was E2 Mamo Tambien. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's what one that really got him kind on the market. Yeah. Marked him as like, oh, maybe we should listen to this guy. Maybe we should uh, give him some money. Yeah. Mm. Um, so it does. So, so it's produced by Alfonso Caron. Uh, as well as Gabriela Rodriguez, who worked as a PA on Pan's Labyrinth to Del Toro, and wow. went to become the assistant to Quran on Children of Men, now becoming his producing partner. That's pretty which awesome. I thought is super dope. That gives us all hope. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, Nicholas uh, Chellis, who has been producing since 2007, three to four se- three or four films a year, mainly in documentary or executive producing and narrative films, um, and all of them, you know, in 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 Mexico, pretty much. Uh, and then the cast is Yalitza uh, Aparicio, who had no formal training. Non-actress. Only. Non-actress. Only first. film. And, you know, has been nominated for several awards around the world yeah. because of this. I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> and it was complete luck that uh, he, because he said he took forever to find her. And that it was complete luck because she had, like, just finished school or something. And it was going to be six to eight months before she got approval and could start the job. So she was like, got nothing better to do. Wow. Yeah. And Wow. Uh, Mrs. Sophia is played by Marina de Tavria. Which uh, is, she's pretty big in She's pretty in, big. And the, the tough thing is like, I tried to do a lot of like looking up like, 
where she's been and what things. If it's all in languages I can't read, oh, so well, I could look up her IMDb all day and mispronounce all the movies and TV shows she's done. But yeah. she's been working for a really long time, and it's actually a pretty big name. So it's uh, 135 minutes long. Mm-hmm. The budget was 15 million, and the, that's it. Yeah. yeah, and the box office is Gross. three million. Three million now. That's it? Who? Well, because it went direct. Well, I don't know what the deal they uh, had with Netflix. Yeah, was. we don't know that. Netflix so. is yeah, pouring money different. into things right now. So well, who knows Because I think theatrical release. I mean, that, I think that's pretty par for the course when it comes to like Academy-nominated films. Like The Artist made like no money when it first yeah. came out. Another black and white film. But, you know, it, it, we all know Alfonso Cron made his money in Netflix. Yeah. Well, this and movie then, feels brown and white to me. Yeah. Yeah, like sepia. Sepia. Yeah. There's and, also the, like... I guess it's a mild controversy, maybe a large controversy. I don't know of it not being accepted into Venice. Cannes. Oh, or, Cannes, no, it yeah. went to Venice. Yeah, well, yeah, it didn't go to Cannes. Didn't yeah. go to Cannes because of the Netflix release, the Netflix correct? Yeah. Yeah. Really? Right. And is it not also considered a um, candidate for a foreign film, best mm-hmm. foreign film as an Oscar? Yeah. In addition to being best film. Yeah. Right. Interesting. Well, Cannes, Cannes was like, oh, that's not real filmmaking. Yeah. Wait, well, what? Yeah, I think that's... The, well, because that, Netflix, I don't know how long that's going to last. That theory. yeah, people are just kind of uh, people are just boycotting Netflix. People are just yeah. being yeah. gross. Yeah. That happened to um, Beast of a Southern Nation. Oh wow, as well. Beast of the Southern Wild. The Southern Wild, the, the yeah, exact one. It was uh, years ago. Yeah, but was people, that made directly for Netflix? Netflix. Mm-hmm. And people that was a wonderful movie that. too. Yeah, yeah it, was. it is. And like for me, I think Netflix is the big giant monster machine that they are. But if they're able to produce great films, then they're producing great films. There's there is a black and white to it. Yeah. Um, but film festivals and film festivals are now like the 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 gateway, the gatekeeper to becoming the best picture films. Yeah. Now, at least. Well, I was in years. Toronto during TIFF this year and um, the Lady Gaga phenomenon. Uh, and yeah. Star is Born. And Star is Born. And then the Quincy Jones phenomenon. All It was exciting. I didn't see any of them because we were working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the town was on fire. Yeah. I'd never been to wow. any of the big city Film festival. I've never been to Con or any of this. Neither have I. But it was fun to be in Toronto to see what the energy around it is. Toronto's the, like the big one, right? The one that like open invite where like a lot of people are. Go- There's a lot of, and a lot of documentaries, and yeah, yeah it was. Uh, How would you define that energy? Was it just like an electric? Was it a well? It was. It was, was it a, like a con. It was a hope. Well, the, there were people in the street. The streets were closed. Oh, the yeah. uh, some of the main streets were just pedestrian walkways, and there were events. One of which I got to go to because I was a friend of a friend of a friend, but I didn't get to see any of the movies. Oh, I just was in. Ho- I was living in a hotel, so the hotel was a buzz. Yeah, and this and it was downtown. The downtown was filled with these. It was, the city was clearly about the festival, and yeah. that was kind of fun. Even though I had well, it's one of the bigger some, ones, correct? Yeah, Tiff. I guess so. Yeah, so, um, yeah. It's the yeah. one I, I try to always try try to get the courage to submit to. Yeah. <laughs> um, needless to say, we always have to mention just because it is a factor of life, Rotten Tomato score, 96%. Yeah. So critics oh, love really? it. Oh, really? Yes. Critics <laughs> love it. The way you phrased that. Oh, oh really? really? It's mm, a delightful so. surprise. Uh, yeah. Well, did you we, love it? I liked it a lot. That's this, a no. Here we, <laughs> did you love it? We are going to go I, into initial reactions. I loved it, but not as... Like something I'd go to a theater and see. Young man, uh, I I I liked it a lot. There's a lot of elements of That's it that no. I really appreciate. Did you love it? <laughs> <laughs> Look at this new initial reaction. That's how we got to go through next um, time. At first, no. Yeah, me neither. Okay, wait, hold on. Can I? You didn't let me really answer. I loved the film. I absolutely loved it. 
He reneged. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> Being around the bush. Take two. <laughs> Take two. He's got a different fucking answer. You're done. Well, now that you heard everybody else's answer, you want to be the guy who well, loves no, it. Well, no, I hate being the absolute no or absolute yes. And it's like, I like it or I don't like it. Or it's well, like, I don't hate what it. What I, I will say it. is to go further is yeah. that um, at first, I did not like it. Did you like other films better this year? Yeah. Black Klansman. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was super good. Um, we could talk about that. No, let's talk about Roma. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All Stars of us we're going to do a double episode. Like, what? Um, I, I liked it at first. I mean, I did not like it at first. And uh, I did actually, it grow on you while you were watching it? I did, but let me explain. I watched it in increments. Yeah. That's um, how I got through the favorite. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious about that one too. Yeah. Um, I'm a fan of the actresses that were in that. So yeah. that oh. I, I sat down and, and then watched. I went back and watched The Lobster on the plane. Oh, oh my goodness. That's wild. And yeah. the two of them are in that one too. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, so I watched it in increments. And with each increment, I started to enjoy it more. And it was more of a kind of a, I had to, it's a movie that you, you have to digest and you have to go, what the fuck just happened? And why am I, why am I watching? Yeah. And not not from a mean way of like okay trying to understand like because a man doesn't go out and film a movie for no reason. Well, it's the story <gasps> of his life, no? <laughs> yeah, it's, well, it's ninety yeah. percent. Yeah. Have you seen rubber? From, like even the furniture I read, he went through his family homes. Anybody that still had some of that furniture, oh, so the and set, used some of it. Oh, it's and a huge like, love letter to his childhood. Yeah, and it's based on childhood nanny Lebo. Yeah, yeah, yeah Lebo. He he based a lot of it on personal experience. I mean, so also, which kid was he then? I think he's the middle child. I yeah. don't think he's the baby. The thing is like when Lebo entered his life, he was nine months old. So he can't, but he still can't be the little child. Yeah. Because I feel like you have to have some kind of recognition of like what's going on in his life, even though he's had a relationship with his nanny throughout his entire life. But the way, and I talked to Josh about this out before we recorded, the way that the brothers respond to each other is a very interesting dynamic. Like the, Oh, there's the great fight for the two kids running yeah. around the house mm -hmm. and destroying yeah. public property. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> but if you notice, like the oldest brother is always separated. As he was at the ocean. He's, he's when watching the TV, scene. when they're watching the, in the ocean, and when they're on the way back home. Yeah. He's always separated. And I told Josh, like, he's going to grow up to be an asshole. <laughs> like, that's just going to happen. Like, so you think he's the second son then? I think he's the second one who was, you're supposed to die when I say you're, you know, like, I don't want to play with you anymore. The he's one the that heard one. the mom. The yeah. bossy one, yeah. Heard the mom when she was yeah, and got like, slapped. Yeah. yeah. Because he was, he talked about how like he wanted to bring that in where, you know, his family was falling apart. And it's like, and he, he talks about in an interview, he talked about like how memories, some people say it's like a, it's a mirror that reflects things, but he sees it as a crack where you try covering it up and it never goes away. Oh. Hmm. Lovely man. That's dark. <laughs> but no, I mean, yeah, it's, 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 it's this film's, I think, message. What was, what was your Well, I wonder if that isn't why we did feel the feels. Yeah. Because I, I, my, I had the same reaction. It grew on me and it grew inside me in yeah. a way that mm -hmm. I got to the end of the film and I was so completely involved in her life. And I, I, and I'm not cynical. I thought that her performance was, and it could be entirely wrong because I didn't read anything about it, was what he had told her to think or feel or... It felt to me as as the auteur, if he was the actor or the uh, the writer, director, cinematographer, mm -hmm. and he told her the story, and mm -hmm. she had, she was not an actress. Yeah, it felt it felt to me that he was having her behave 
and he must have captured something in, in the, what he saw with the, with the, in the casting yeah. that he felt, and I don't know, I'm basing this on nothing, that he was sort of um, Pygmalion-like mm-hmm. with her. Is yeah. that yeah, I, I, I feel the same. I would feel I'd say so. same, same way, just because... Kind know, of sculpting no... her to be what he needed the sculpture yeah. to be. Well, say, he, doing Lion Rage and stuff like that for her. He even said that um, he would not give the actors the scripts yeah. until the day of. And then he Creating would also... Creating that chaos, that natural chaos, too. Yeah, so no two takes would be the same. So he would, like, kind of tell them what's happening and, like, what kind of a response he's looking for. Um, but then he would, like, change things slightly. So they were constantly, like... It was evolving in such a way where he's kind of setting the boundaries but letting them do what is going to happen, if that makes sense. Yeah, he must have had a lot of time. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. from writing from this, I think he's been writing this for like almost a decade. I heard like 2006, he started yeah. like putting it together. And that he's wanted to do about. a personal film for a long time. Yeah. So. The image that keeps coming back to me is the dog shit in the driveway. Yes. yes. Uh, right. When he gets run over or what when he steps on? No, all, all, all different <laughs> versions of it. <laughs> being picked up, being yelled at because it wasn't picked up, yeah. run over, rained on. Yeah. The dog yeah. shit was such a metaphor for I have like a, like, I get a, such a visceral response with dog poo. I don't know why. Even though you have three dogs? Even though I have three dogs for some... Yeah, but those, so, are, those dogs don't poo. They're little. Yeah. They're, they're little. so little, but big poos like these yeah. ones. Oh, man, I go, eh. <laughs> uh, continuing with the initial reactions. Uh, so I didn't... I saw... I, I worked down in Beverly Hills, and I see, I've see. i seen the billboards for this before you know, it came out on Netflix, and then Netflix redid their you know design so they have a featured movie like Watch Roma. Yeah. And immediately I said to myself, I am not in an emotional place to watch this movie. Okay. Why is that? I felt like it was going to take a lot out of me. I feel like it was something that was going to engage a lot and then probably spark a lot of, because I come from a family of divorce and I, and I know how it is to have like a kind of a chaotic relationship in, with my, my siblings as well as my parents. And then just seeing that still of a family crying, holding each other on the beach. I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I can handle this right now. <laughs> yeah. um, because I think, you know, with film, uh, especially with someone like, Alfonso Cuarón is an auteur. There is a, a level of engagement that is required from an audience that you know you can't just be like ah, I was just going to put it on while I make some food. You no. have to like sit down, you know, hopefully be in a good place, and sometimes watch it incrementally. Uh, you know, we we get really used to like oh, I want to just check my email really quick while the credits go, but it's like this is like I have to watch the credits. I have to watch this three minute yeah, sequence. I felt that you know in a way. I'm trying to think of the other filmmaker who did that to me this year. Where he stays in shots so long, you can't. It's sort of like David Lynch. Are we still in that shot? Yeah. <laughs> Are we not cut yet? I mean, no. Uh, it shows huge. Dino Ricci does that a lot. Yes, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And that's With Birdman it's astounding. And yeah, yeah. I I watched it. Um, it was like a, it was like a quiet Sunday afternoon, and I just committed myself. I blocked out the time, and so I I did watch it all in one sitting. I'm actually curious if did anybody else happen to watch it with headphones on? No, no, I watched it on my TV. I have to talk about the sound mixing. That's what just I was going to bring Just a real quick, quick moment. Um, we have surround sound. and Must be nice. Th- it is. Jealous. Um, <laughs> and Jealous. we were kind of audiophiles. And so we notice this movie, if you get a chance to watch it in surround sound, Ever it is incredible. Home. Because so when there's chaos going on and the, there's the, the riots, of, the fire. Riots. This is the best use of surround sound mixing and design that I've heard in a very long time because 
there are different voices I agree with that. in the yeah. different speakers and you're surrounded in the scenes. Like the one specific that comes to mind is spoiler alert. She tells her, she tells Furman that she's pregnant and he's like, oh, I'm a BT. I'll be right back. Want some ice cream? And he, and she goes outside and there's kind of this market out front. All the this chaos in the movie theater, in the movie theater, right just outside, outside the movie theater. There's like this market. There's different things going on in all the different speakers and yeah. you actually feel immersed claustrophobic almost almost in the scene and you're like oh dude there's a vendor behind me yeah like and that for me because oh i did feel that, that it's scene. amazing mm-hmm. did you, uh, you was, experience that with that's, headphones as yeah well? that's what it was it was uh because you know i could have watched it but you know i have roommates and it was night and I was being considerate or whatever your mother is in country my mother is in country <laughs> <laughs> shout out to your mom <laughs> Uh, and, uh, so I had the headphones on and yeah, it would be, you know, there's a lot of really, you know, great still shots on, which happened a few times, which I kind of liked, which was kind of like focusing on, you know, not where the action is like and a, a water drop it. or like where the, yeah. the or like on a bookshelf when there's like conversations happening, like wine glasses and the baby bottle and you're right. a party happening around right. you. And it was really interesting with the surround sound, hearing it kind of off to the sides and you're hearing conversations that are in the yeah. corner of the room or something like that. Right. It's, and it's, that's, I think this movie is kind of about, it's about the, it's not meant to be helicopters exploding in the, you know, it's like, it's not a so it's well, crazy. It's, it's a moment. Your back. You're, you're looking in on something. I think you're a fly on the wall. So the revolution scene, I think was one oh, particular yeah. one where the it was like, what's, did what's, you what's feel it all? I, I thinking about it when I was driving over here, that, it was a little convenient that she was shopping in that mm-hmm. store at the time right of the outside. riots and the people who came through the store happened to be mm-hmm. Furman. Furman. Oh, that mm. was the I, only I mean, thing. That bugged the shit out of me. That was my, like, honestly, only qualm. Me too. Because it was like, really, of really? all the people. How convenient is I, that? I love that. I felt like. Yeah. <laughs> I absolutely love that uh, because it's like, of course it has to be him. Of, because it solidifies that. You know, he's not going to kill her, but he's also not going to do that. This is the he's end of the relationship. And it's like the pointing gun, where is it pointed to her belly? You know, it's yeah. like in the mid, like in the worst time possible, of course the chaos is going to happen. You know, I like, do have to say, if I saw that shit going on on the street, I'd be like, we're going to shop for a crib another day. Yeah. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't, I mean, was, was, was there pe- people marching kinda, or did you just hear stuff? It was, it, no. It was, it was marching first. Yeah, it was marching first. And yeah. then you started hearing things. And I think, you know, I don't know what I would do in that situation because it started yeah. as a peaceful protest that quickly escalated and then escalated more. But it also was bizarre in that the, the marching was down. They were on the second story. Yeah. yeah. Right. And they were watching it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then of all the marchers in all the world, I know. she comes into mind. It, See, it's, it's, I, like <laughs> my, my personal qualm with that, I feel like they could have had like one guy with a gun or something Mm -hmm. and then everybody else is carrying those sticks and then it's that group like it's a nod to like oh it's those people with the sticks I mean I knew I saw that happening from miles away that was like he's when because when he got on the truck to leave I was like he's gonna be part of some kind of revolution thing like he's these are boys going to war right when they get a truck at the at the at the uh, martial arts yeah yeah. 100% I was like these boys are going to war well that was brutal what he said to her oh yeah oh Oh. um and when, you know, like at the beginning when the husband first leaves and then you see the the people marching with the little trumpet, I was like, something's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen, but some kind of war, violent thing is going to happen where people yeah. are marching and it's going to be a little scary. I don't know. Um, but 
going back to the initial reaction, uh, I wasn't planning on watching this movie for like another month until you said you wanted to watch, you wanted to talk about this. <laughs> and so I was like, all right, I got to go watch this movie. And I actually watched the movie because I felt that I you had to. Should. You had an interest. And I wanted to be, mm-hmm. wanted to have. As a director, like. Well, as a director and as well to be part of the conversation around all the awards, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. 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 It, 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 it was to clearly your, a movie that that is in everybody's. Mind. In mind or on their TV or on their to watch list. Or people yeah. will know about it because, yeah, yeah you do the whole, the, the award season, got to watch all the movies that mm-hmm. are going to be up for the awards and be like, oh, what are people talking about? I so just I watched The Wife yesterday. Oh, okay. oh yeah. That's. And she, Glennie is awesome in this movie. Yes. Yeah. I didn't know she won. I mean, I didn't, I didn't imagine that, she, and I gather, I didn't see the Golden Globes. I was somewhere else, but I gather she was very surprised. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, that was so good. Anyway, I, I, I'm not sure about the woman who plays the lead in this movie uh, being nominated for Best Actress. I don't get that. But uh, I certainly what, what do you mean movie. by you don't get that? I don't. I don't get that there was a lot of acting. Well, yeah, it's I, it, I, yeah. She, there's not a lot of. I mean, I call it sadly. It's I call reacting. It, I call it. Yeah, I call it Oscar bait. There's not a lot of like bravado performance where like mm-hmm. there's a line or a soliloquy or like a monologue, something that's going on. It's like, oh my god, like give this person an award. It's just more like, yeah amongst all the blocking and everything that's happening, this person's kind of... She is the uh, core. Yeah, yeah. and we, we're able to place our own emotions and project yes. that stuff, but, like, the director the is really telling the story the around her. And the, exactly. And I think it's convenient that he does the big three jobs, too, mm-hmm. because the cinematography was phenomenal. That was the thing that I that I left with, was uh, that that I, as far as what I appreciated about the movie, was... Yeah, I, I put that at the top of my list of what I, I appreciated yeah. the most, too. Yeah. And it grew on me. Again, the framing was great, and the pace and the confidence in which he stayed in his wide shots was really astounding. It made me, it instantly reminded me of like Children of Men. Yeah. And, well, uh, we were talking about the surround sound part. I was talking about like when they're in the car and they do the full 360 revolution. I was that, like, you hear. Yeah. Now I want to go back and watch Children of Men in surround sound. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> Just see to what's see there. that well, car scene. See both what films it's like. are on Netflix right now. Hey, <laughs> convenient. Uh, I, I actually watched this incrementally as well. Um, not not because it was something I was actively choosing to do. Uh, life just kept popping up. It just kind of happened that it, way, and it, it worked in, to the advantage. Well, yeah. For yeah. me personally, yeah. And and when it even started, I actually was like, oh, I'm going to like this. And it wasn't, I guess it was because I wasn't viewing this as a movie, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. It was experience. an assignment. <laughs> no, no, not an assignment. I, I wasn't. I wasn't Professor viewing Frakes it gave you as something that is like, I'm going to go see Aquaman and I'm going to be wowed by all the, you know, the Jason CGI Momoa-ness. and all the Jason Momoa. Um, <laughs> it, it was like very real. It, it just felt like it, it was the reacting acting that yeah. got me. That's what pulled me in. Yeah, I also like the relationship that he had, that she had. With the other woman who worked in the house, yeah, mm-hmm. yes, the kitchen, yeah. the kitchen relationship was mm-hmm. wonderful, mm-hmm. and and it just felt very genuine. Yeah. Like that's that's what I I Almost liked like about this movie. Effortless, but you could see it from the flip side. Effortless being not having put enough effort in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's one of those weird, uh, like a kind of a gray line where yeah. it's like this is a great film. I don't want to say it's like a movie because it is it, but it's not i mean i love i love being that film it's yes not, it's not a movie it's a film exactly that pretentiousness of it <laughs> um but i remember when i was watching it i i literally felt like i was back in film school 
And I was like, this is just like a film theory. And I was like, of course, Jonathan Franks wants to watch this movie and talk about it. And I was like, oh, of course. And then so incrementally, not really, but like I was taking notes throughout the entire thing. Oh, no kidding. Because it felt like it was like watching like Midnight Cowboy or like watching a Kurosawa film like in school. I was like, okay, this is asking me to engage and like actually like look at everything what it needs to. So like I have like all these notes here just like. This, what does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? It's like, it's me just trying to like jot down like all these parts yeah. where it's like. Do you, do you find that it gets in your way of enjoying a film? Uh, no, not yeah. anymore. Uh, I think before it's kind of like, you know, you kind of can't see it for the narrative sometimes. You have to see it for the subtext. Yeah. But um, when you have a master filmmaker at work, like yeah. you can go back. I, Jaws is one of my favorite movies. Yeah. Mm. And Spielberg was great even then. A hundred percent. And you watch that movie as I have a couple of years ago. It's like, oh. Everything about it works. Yeah. The simplicity of it, I'll the say, framing, the storytelling. Yeah. I'll say it did go a little bit in that direction of, of it felt a little too film school-ish. Well, I felt like it was like, sense. it was like throwing a lot of things that I knew that I, I wouldn't understand mainly because I've never grown up in Mexico City. But things right, that yeah. like, I know that this filmmaker has to say mm -hmm. that even though this film takes place in 1970, it has to do with everything that we're talking about now in 2018, yeah. 2019. Because we were talking about this the other day with, I forget what we were talking about, but uh, we were talking about symbology and symbology and, and symbolism, <laughs> rather, not not the uh, Angels vs. Demons version, <laughs> symbolism. And, uh, oh, it was about um, Miyazaki mm -hmm. with Spirit Away, the uh, Japanese animated. And, you know, crossing culture is always going to be difficult, but I think it's, it's, that's that is what makes the director's job that much more difficult or the writer's job that much more difficult. And you have to be able to reach that point where I don't have to pause and look up what this means yeah. and what the significance of that is. There's that, you know, how do you get it? There's a marriage. How do you get it an extremely potent, you know, symbolism without having to have people yeah. without, face without, without alienating people. Right. Um, so, and I come from it the other way where it's like, I'm not being alienated. I'm being told that there's a world to explore. Mm. That's a good point. So good instead of it. like me feeling like, oh, I don't know it versus like, oh, I should try to well, learn more about it. I mean, on that, it's, I mean, it's like his pan shots. I mean, specifically, I'm thinking about the 360 when she's turning mm -hmm. off all the lights. It, it is, you're seeing the world that she's exploring. Mm -hmm. I mean, not, I mean, that she's living in and you do get to see it and explore it in a way. And then he'll, he'll have these like, they're one shot ish. And it's, you're seeing the scene and then you're seeing other bits. Mm-hmm. Of well, the scene. It, like, that was especially true at the when they went to celebrate at that ranch or whatever the, the, place the uncle's was. house. The yeah. uncle's oh, house. Oh, yeah. yeah. And the fire going on. A lot on. of uh, texture in the yeah yeah was being shot. I mean, and that's why I say like I I think about Kurosawa a lot because he has those like very long telephoto like lens shots where it's like panning someone from all the way in the back to all the way like coming down to the foreground, and there is a. a a stable motion from the beginning and then all the way to the end and then it stops. Like there's not like this infinite loop of like, it's just motion to push the narrative to make you feel like things are happening. But it's like, here's one side of the house to the other side of the house. And here's going back down the stairs. And hmm. there's a control. There's like a, there's, you know, overindulgence of cinematography that I think people get going crazy about like parallax. Here you go. All this cool stuff. But it's like, here you go. Just, yeah. this is what it's meant like, to be. Like the fire scene. It's like yeah. you're seeing all this chaos going on and then you're like Bonnie and I kind of, we rewatched that scene because it's like he, he kind of, 
he kind of pans over to the fire, and then he kind of pans over to, to like the children, he, to the children that are putting yeah. out little. And then he fire gets to the person with the mascot yeah. outfit, and then yeah. it stops. But it's not like revolving around their head. And yeah. like, but again, we're all fuck? talking about the cinematography yeah. in yeah. that moment, yeah. and we're, so, which means we were conscious of it. We mm-hmm. see it. We see it. Yeah. it. That's what happened at the end of uh, the Lady Gaga movie of Star Is Born. I thought the movie was wonderful and it was entertained, and what should have been the most powerful part of the movie was her singing that song at the end. Steadicam just sort of moved around, didn't seem to have a point of view, didn't oh. seem to make any. It was very, yeah. I was so disappointed. It was very too, passive. Yeah. It was not very active on. Yeah, or, or did, it wasn't committed to a point so of view about point, yeah. about uh, what was important. They didn't it want was, to sell. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was sort of like a music video version of it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, zooms. So you're, you said the movie grew on you over time. So I think the, it grew on me while I was watching. While you were watching yeah. it, is it? So do you like Roma? I do like Roma very much. So you don't love it? Okay. I didn't love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a no for yeah. So no. So no. So, so no. no. So no. But next time we'll come, we'll talk about Totoro. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm feeling pretty complete. Do you, do, you have, do you have anything you want to plug in at the end? Because I think there's a keep watching Discovery, keep watching Orville, watch The Gifted. Okay. All right. Do you have any social media that you people would you would like? Jonathan to? S. Frakes on Twitter. Get the numbers up because I came to Twitter late and I'm at my ass kicked by Will Wheaton and Brent Spiner <laughs> and LeVar Burton who have millions of followers. <laughs> we'll spread the word. Don't worry. Okay, good. We will definitely we'll spread the word. Um, well, everybody at home, thank you so much for listening. We really do appreciate your support. That is why we are able to keep going. Everybody listening. You can check us out on nerdon.tv. Keeping it easy. Uh, super easy. Um, we've got a newsletter that's going out um, every month, once a month. Uh, keeping that simple and yeah we got a uh, trope time if you want to check that out that comes out monthly yes it is our other podcast that we do uh, our two hosts Izzy and Nikki um, and that is the first Monday of every month but we really appreciate it and hey. you know the drill as, as always, always nerd on thank you guys Ending broadcast.